Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Yeah, let me, let me jump in. We met a bunch of good people. It was good. If you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. I want to jump right into the scriptures as we start. We kicked off a new series last week called Unstrapped, and we're talking about resources and um, finances for a couple of weeks. And here's, I want to read this text again because it's the backdrop of these few weeks and the movement that we're headed to today and even next week. And so read it with me, um, chapter 6, verse 19, uh, and then we're going to skip over to verse 24 as well. So here we go. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And can, they, and can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what we will drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not, last time, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today has enough trouble... (laughs) for today. God, as we lean into this teaching from Christ and as we lean into the moment we're in in our society where um, finances sometimes feel like a struggle, Lord, we just ask you for your wisdom and your direction, God, so we can be people uh, who love you and love others and people who live um, rested in, in who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we talked about worry. We talked about being unstrapped. Uh, And one of the things that we feel sometimes financially is we can't feel strapped. We talked about being unstrapped. And we talked about how uh, being unstrapped usually is tied to creating margin in our finances. When there's no margin on a page that you're reading, when there's no margin in your life, uh, you know, time-wise, when there's no margin financially, you can feel like you're strapped like in a roller coaster ride. Well, we want to get unstrapped. And last week we talked about ways to do that and how to look at our spending and delayed spending, but also looking at the, at the teachings of Christ. But I want to ask the question, well, what are we unstrapped for? And this week and next week... 
um, is going to lead us in a certain direction. And obviously, margin brings us peace. When there's margin in our lives, we find a little bit more rest. But Jesus says, life is more than just clothing and food. And I would say life is more than just margin. Margin is one of the reasons we can worry. And Jesus is cautioning us here. He's basically saying, like, examine if the way we use our treasures or the way we use our resources actually reflect the kind of life that God envisions for us. We all have a choice where we put our treasure. And even to examine if our resources are used for the kind of life we actually want. Like in five or ten years from now, when we look back, will we say, oh yeah, we used our resources in a way that fueled the kind of life that I even felt I longed for. And so here's a question. If your money talked, what would your money say? If your money talked, what would your money say? See some like youth in the front would say burrito or something or Starbucks or something. I'm just joking. Uh, what, would, what would your money say? Last week, I, um, I shared a story about my son when he was 17 and starting to work. And um, as we, we asked him one day, like, where is, you know, do you know where your money's going? He's like, I don't know where it went, like after three, four months. So again, at that time, he, he wasn't 18 yet. We're like, well, let's like, look through like three, four months of your bank statements and let's see. And we figured out, yeah, we know exactly where your money went. It went to John Rennie's cafeteria um, and it had like chocolate chip cookies all over the place. And imagine you can spend hundreds of dollars over a few months on chocolate chip cookies. Isn't that crazy? Andrew, by the way, gave me permission to share that today because uh, he was okay with that last week. So what, where would your, what, would, like, what would your money tell you? If your money could talk, if your money had a voice, what's that? Anybody? Did he say something? <laughs> and here's the question. Where is your treasure? Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. I wrote this on the screen. I want us to just grab this big idea. It doesn't matter what we say our life is about if our money says something different. It doesn't matter what we say our life is about if our money says something different, if our money would talk. And here, Jesus is inviting his disciples and us to to shift our priorities to get our heart in tune with God's kingdom and then to bring the rest of our life in tune with it. To get our heart in tune with God's kingdom and then to bring our life along with it. He invites us to trust him. He invites us to seek him as Lord, to trust him as Father. And later on, right, he ends that whole teaching with seek first his kingdom and his righteousness or his kingdom and his will. And and the kingdom of God is connected to the mission of God. They're interconnected. The good news of God's kingdom is God's mission for the world. And God's kingdom and his mission has a church. It's we don't have a mission. God's mission has a church. There's a big difference. It's not your mission or my mission or Westside's mission, mission. It's God's mission. And God's mission has a church. And we're wrapped up into that. And so here's my hope for today. Next week, we're going to talk about something different. I want to help us unstrap ourselves for something bigger than ourselves, not just for us. We don't just get unstrapped financially for more pleasure. That's nice and peace and important things in our lives. And in fact, next week, we're going to end our series on meaning, being unstrapped for meaning. But today, I want to talk about being unstrapped for mission. And it sounds counterintuitive, right? Like last week, I said, create some margin in your budget so you can have some peace and worry less. And now you're saying, well, Dave, how is adding a life of mission to a life of margin 
how will that decrease my worry? Because now I'm just adding something there. Like, don't, shouldn't, my, shouldn't, my, shouldn't that change? Well, how will it decrease my worry and increase my trust? Well, everybody, kind of, can you just put your arms out like this, really simple? Just kind of let them hang. Let your fingers hang, okay? How does that feel? Does it feel good? Marcus, how does it feel? Good? Yeah, it's okay. All right, cool. So now that's pretty restful. Mind you, your, your arms are propped up, but it's pretty restful. Now I want, you to ch- I want you to change your position. I want you to turn your hands like this. I want you to clinch your fist. I'm going to count to 12, all right? Clinch your fist as l- much as possible. You ready? Go. One, two, three, four. Dig in there. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, don't let go. Who's stressed? Anybody worried? Anybody feel tense? Because when you're, when you're holding things like this, now let go. Oh my gosh, that feels so much better, right? What I hope we get from today is the difference between a clenched fist and an open palm. And, and the way we're going to get that is four words. How we can be unstrapped for something bigger than ourselves and how can we be unstrapped for a life that feels more like this and less like this. And the first word is provision. Jesus says, don't worry to his disciples. It's like, look at the birds, how, 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 how they're fed. And look at the flowers and how amazing they look. And as Jesus invites his disciples and us into that and telling us not to worry, to look at these things, he's inviting us to see God as Father, as a Father who cares, as a Father who provides. There's another passage in Luke. Luke gives us a different kind of uh, telling of this this teaching, and he says in verse 32 of chapter 12, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock, he's speaking to his disciples, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In another passage in Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says these words, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. Jesus is, is in, in Matthew, we read the word Gentiles, all people outside of the Jews. In Luke, we read the word nations. He's saying, look, the, the Gentiles, the nations, worry about these things. These things are the basic elements of life. Stop striving for these things. Don't you know there's a father who cares for you and a father who provides for you? Don't be afraid, Jesus is telling them. In fact, he's inviting them and us to reorient our lives to a different understanding of scarcity and abundance. This is not about becoming rich or wealthy or accumulating things. It's about reorienting our understanding of scarcity and abundance. And he's pointing us first, first, before anything else, to see God as loving, heavenly Father who cares and provides and this is all rooted in their story as Jewish people. The first disciples that were reading this were Jews, and they were rooted in this kind of story. Their people were delivered from Egypt. Their people found manna, bread, that God supernaturally provided in the wilderness. Their people discovered water where there was no water coming out of a rock, and God provided water for them. And if we read through the biblical story of creation and the biblical story of Israel, they come back to using a word for God, among other words, that describes this. He's called Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord who provides. God provided natural resources in creation for humanity, you and us, to steward. And he provided supernatural resources for Israel's journey through the wilderness. 
Natural resources, supernatural resources. So Jesus is saying in this moment, trust me, our Heavenly Father still provides. Our Heavenly Father is still the God of creation and the God of Israel and your Father. Trust me, He provides. But it doesn't stop a provision. God invites us to partnership. He doesn't just say, here. He says, here, come. Check this out. In creation, he did that. I mean, isn't creation amazing? Who loves the mountains and the waters and the landscape and the sea and taking hikes or skiing in the winter? It's beautiful. And yet, early on in the pages of Scripture, God specifically gives us, humanity, a mandate to steward this creation, to manage this creation. And, and we are messing it up these days, it's true. But that's our call, to steward creation. We get to participate in growing and flourishing what God has provided for us. But that's not the only part he invites us to partner. He invites Israel as he forms this people out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 tribes, and then this nation. God institutes these social and spiritual systems, and he invites Israel, he invites his people to manage these systems, to be participants in them. One of the ways he does that is through their, 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 their time and, and their talents. But one of the ways he does that is through tithes and offerings. He invites them to give back a tithe of what they've been given, to give back offerings both to support the social and spiritual needs of the community. Israel was partnering with God in being formed into God's people. God gave them, made them this nation, but he also invited them to partner. This is how the gospel works. God gave us the gospel. God announced the gospel, the gospel of his kingdom. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you and me so we could be rescued. And isn't it amazing that Paul, when he writes to a bunch of Christians later on, after the resurrection, he says, will you become partners in the gospel with me? Will you become partners in this, in this mission of God? Will you become partners in declaring that God's kingdom is broken into this world, that every person you lock eyes with matters to God, that God longs for them to know him and know life and know purpose? Will you partner with this gospel that God has given you? And that's how the church gets started. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And there's often some Sundays, yeah, I heard a ooh, yeah, that's true. Uh, we, often, we often, you know, will celebrate that theme, and, and uh, it's 50 days after resurrection. And today's Pentecost Sunday, some of the scriptures we read and songs we sang helped us remember that, would be mindful of the work of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is God sending his Holy Spirit. He promised he was going to send his Spirit. Jesus told us he was going to send his Spirit. The day of Pentecost come, the Holy Spirit is poured over the church. Something miraculous happens. That's God's provision. But you notice what happens? As people are filled with the Spirit, they discover their gifts, the way God has given them gifts, and then Jesus invites us to use our gifts of the Holy Spirit to represent Him in the world, to minister to each other, to help each other, to serve each other, to serve the world around us. Ministry has a social and spiritual aspect to it. God provides His Holy Spirit, then through the gifts of the Spirit, we partner. We're invited to partner. So think about it this way. God provides, but he often invites our partnership. It doesn't rest at provision. He invites our partnership. And then Jesus leads us to this next word. Third word today. Simple, right? Provision, partnership, and this one's prioritize. 
Jesus calls us to prioritize his kingdom and his mission. First indication of this, when he first meets Peter and John and others, what does he say to them? Two words, follow me. He's inviting them to prioritize his leadership, his teaching, his message, his kingdom. In fact, even before Jesus was born, even in Mary's participation in the birth of Jesus was a prioritization of God's will over her will. And so we're called as as Christ followers to prioritize God's kingdom and God's will. Actually, the beautiful thing is we get to be part of that, part of this beautiful kingdom of God. But here's here's where this kind of, where, where Jesus leans in to bring this to them, where he talks about the freedom wherever your treasure is, right? You can, you can place your treasure in a place and a purpose. You can give your resources place and purpose. But Jesus says, strive first for his kingdom and his righteousness. And one of the early bookends of this whole teaching, Jesus says, don't confuse who God is. Don't confuse this because you can't serve God and wealth at the same time. The word for wealth is the word mammon, often in an ancient time seen as kind of like the god of wealth. If you can't, Jesus said, you can't confuse God and wealth. We sometimes do see wealth as a god. We sometimes see accumulation and affluence and influence and wealth building as a god, and we run after it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's, it's, he says it's virtually impossible to serve God and wealth. In fact, you're going to love one and hate the other, or you're going to hate one and love the other. It's impossible. So let me ask you this question. How do we prioritize? How can we think of God's provision, understand his invitation to partnership, lean into responding to prioritizing his, his, his kingdom? How do we prioritize? Well, I, I believe it's it's when we can flip the cultural script on finances. Last week I described the cultural script on finances as um, spend, save, and give. You guys remember that? that? That the way generally we work, the way the world works, and often in worse ways when it's like spend even if you don't have the money, pay later. Spend, save, give. That's the cultural script. Just spend what you have, get what you want, buy what you want, buy what you need, even if you have to pay later, even if you have to go into debt into it, even if you're paying 25% interest on your credit card, even if you've got to take a loan, consolidate, just buy, 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 spend, spend, spend. You deserve it. You got it. Get it. Boom. And then it's like, well, then we'll save. And then we'll, maybe if there's something left over at the end of that, we'll give. I think one way we can prioritize is we, we flip that script. We flip the script and we become givers first, savers second, spenders third. Now, let's be honest, all of our money is spending. 100% of what goes into your bank account, you choose to, to send it somewhere. Has your money ever told you, send me here? Has your mother, mother, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mom, um, she has told me where to send my money. Uh, But has your money ever said, send me here, please? I want to go here. I want to go there. No. You tell your money where to go. So we're always spending our money, whether it's now, later, or someone's going to spend it when we're dead. Right? We all will spend our money. 
Now, why? So giving, saving, and spending is also a, a different kind of spending. But here's if we flip the script, and this is the way that, that uh, has been so encouraging to me, and I know many others in our church community, um, I've called it the 10-10-80 principle. Giving 10% away, saving 10% as a minimum, and then deciding how to spend the rest. How to spend the rest of the, the 80% or 70%, depending on how you, you split up your savings and all that kind of stuff. And, and here, this is important. And here's the fourth word. You ready for the fourth word? Proportionate. The fourth word is the idea here is how do we get unstrapped to, to get involved in something bigger than ourselves? We learn to be proportionate. God called Israel to partner with this thing called a tithe. We just, you know, on our website, and we talk about it as giving, but a, like a biblical word is the tithe. It was a 10%, or there was different kinds of tithes, where either annual or every three years or in certain uh, festivals, where Israel was encouraged or invited, called to give a tithe, to give back proportionate to their income. Israel wasn't told, okay, everybody line up, give 100 bucks. Doesn't matter what you owe, doesn't matter how much land you have, doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, everybody give 100 bucks. That wasn't the deal. The invitation was tithe. Give a portion of your income. Tithe on your resources. There was three tithes in Israel, two annually, and one every three years, and then a few others. So if you add that up, it's decent amount of percentage in a year. But because they were a nation, and so their, some of their tithes were social, and some were cultural, but one of them was spiritual. One of them was, how do we be formed as a nation in God's ways, and how are we going to nurture each other communally as we gather and as we worship and as we teach? And so this was part of Israel's proportionate giving. This kind of proportionate giving helped Israel be sustained as a tangible witness in the world around them. This fed them, this formed them, and this freed them. Think about that. It fed them. It formed them, but it also freed them to be people who depended on God and not just on themselves. And this continues in the church, in the New Testament. I love Jesus kind of helps us understand this when he's, he's critiquing the Pharisees for a moment in Matthew 23. And he says these words in verse 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So, you, you know, Jesus is, is serious here, right? For you tithe, that's a word they would have known, for you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, so this was their agricultural resources, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. So Jesus is saying, Pharisees, you guys are doing well on the tithe. You're, you're, you're tithing. But you've neglected justice and mercy and faith. In other words, you've neglected helping others around you. So ironically, Jesus doesn't say, stop tithing and start helping, he says, it's these you ought to have practiced the justice and mercy part without neglecting the others. So he didn't say neglect the tithe. He says, keep that going, but open your radar up to the needs around you so you can even serve and give beyond your normal tithe so you can help people around you. Give proportionately, but then even give beyond that. This has been an example to me all my life. And I don't know, maybe it's, maybe I've been, what's been helpful for me is it's been an example for me. It's been something that over years has become a pattern that, that 
that I've just noticed um, I've been able to trust God with, but it's often been giving that initial tithe to God's local mission, which I'm a part of. I'm part of Westside. So Westside is my tithe, you know? And I know some of you say, well, Dave, you're the pastor here, and I think you get a salary. You're right, I do. I do get a salary. And, but regardless of what church I would be a part of, that would be my response to tithe to that church. But then to grow in generosity towards other spiritual and social causes that are around me, either through the church or beyond the church or outside the church, Paul instructs the church in this proportionate pattern. Listen to to 1 Corinthians 6.2. He tells this New Testament church on the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside and save extra what you earn so that collections need not be taken when I come. So Paul's like, look, I'm only coming in a few months from now. Be practical here. On the first day of the week, in other words, you look back to the week, you look at what you've earned, bring a portion together. Be cumulative and make this a pattern. So when I come, then we will distribute this to the needs both here locally and to the other churches that we're also connected with in the Roman Empire. So Paul is encouraging proportionate giving, and then he's going to distribute it. I love that. I think that's so, so practical. Now, This is helpful for me because if I gave every three months, my proportion would probably be gone by the time I actually have to give. There are some people who are great at that. Like every three months, six months, even a year, sometimes they could look back and say, I'm going to write this, you know, this amount that reflects a year of income. For me, it would be spent like yesterday. So that's why I got to like get it, get it done. Um, So this is what Paul is saying. Proportionate giving reflects this partnership and priority with God's kingdom. It's this idea of first fruits. It's this idea that we, we give first what we long for. I was talking with a young 21-year-old, and I loved what uh, this guy said. He, we weren't talking about money. I asked him about his spiritual disciplines. I just said, you know, tell me, like, about your life with God, what your, you know, how you grow that, nurture that. And this young 21-year-old guy just blew me away. He said, I spend time with Jesus in the morning before I pick up my phone. I get up, I take a shower, and I spend 30, 40 minutes thinking about the scripture, reading, praying, reflecting, and then I start my day. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. For a 21-year-old, what's he doing? Let me ask you this question. Is 100% of his time in the day, all 24 hours, is it spent reading the scripture, yes or no? Obviously, it's not his whole day. It's not that every single minute of the day we are going to do all these spiritual practices. Does does this guy ever use his phone for, for texting, calling, emails, does he? Yeah, for sure. But he says, you know what, I'm going to put it aside early in the morning. What he's doing is a first fruits principle. He's saying, Lord, I'm going to give you the first part of my day. Here's my best attention. Why? Because I want my whole day to reflect you. Because I want my whole day to reflect you. We do this with the most important relationships in our life. If, if, if we're have good friends, or if we're married, or if we're in a family or something, we don't give them the leftover attention. We give them our first attention. It's our first fruits. I, don't, I can't spend every minute of the day with my wife and my kids, but I want to give them my best, which is a reflection that I want to give them my all. If I invited Alex and Jocelyn over to the house, now maybe I'm setting myself up for an invite, but and I'm like, they come over, and I have leftovers in the fridge. Good leftovers, like from the day before. Like, it was like awesome meat or something, you know. I'm sure they'd be happy to eat it. In fact, I can probably fix it up in a way where they wouldn't even know it was leftovers. But I wouldn't do that because they're like, they're, they're my guests. 
So I'm going to give them something fresh. I'm going to say, because I care about this evening, because I care about how this is going to go, I'm not going to give them my leftovers. I'm going to give them this meal that we've prepared today because it's the posture towards this that's important. This is what it looks like with our budgets. This is what proportionate giving is. It's giving first so we can prioritize it in our budget. And here's what happens. This is the beautiful thing that happens. It shapes our posture. When we give first, it becomes a priority. When we give first, it shapes our posture. When, it gives, when we give first, we tell our money where our heart is. We tell our money where our heart is. This is beyond even giving to the church. If I have $1,000 and I tell my family, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and there's needs that are going around, but I go spend that $1,000 on a pleasure, even though they need something, I could tell them that they're important to me, but I have inadvertently said I value this over this. So it, we tell our money where our heart is. We communicate to our money that God's kingdom is first. We trust God then with how to manage the rest because when we say, God, I trust you with this first, and then I trust you, Lord, to help me manage the rest, and we recognize that he has given this to us to begin with. Provision, partnership, priority, proportion. This is what Paul tells the church in Corinth again later on, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, this is the point. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then he says this, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. That's what Jesus is saying. When, when Paul says, give as you have made up in your mind, he's saying, this is your choice. This is your decision. No one's forcing this on you. Jesus says, seek me first. Prioritize my kingdom. And then all these things, all these things, all the things we need and reach after will be added to you as well. And this becomes the organizing principle of a budget that reflects God's kingdom. Here's why. We stand on his provision. We respond in partnership. We move towards priority. And then we give proportionately. And here's what God, this is an amazing thing. I'm, here's, here's my anti-promise to you. God's not going to make you rich. This is not a, this is not a quick rich scream, uh, uh, scheme. It's not that. But God will often give us v wisdom, vision, and provision for the rest. When I was 20, in my 20s, I was working at a church, and I started working at that church for $16,000 a year. And I, looking back, I'm like, why didn't I tell them, thank you for that, that offer. I'm going to work here three days a week, and I'm going to go work at a cafe for two days a week because I wanted to support my family. I didn't do that. I just like, sure, let's do it. So I did. And uh, that 16000 after a few years, went to 20000 And um, I remember the, the accountant, the treasurer of the church board, he also was an accountant, and he did my taxes for me. And, I mean, not many taxes, right? 20000 a year, right? But I should have figured that out myself. But anyways. But he used to tell me, as you, after you do my taxes, he's like, Dave, I don't know how you do everything you do with what you have. And I would joke back and say, well, you're the treasurer of the board. You can give me a little, help me make a little bit more. <laughs> But you know what? That wasn't the point. The point was, 
he, he realized, like, how is it that you're able to do everything you do with what you have? And I realized God didn't give me more money. Over the years, yes, I have made more than $20,000. God didn't give me more money, but he gave Frank and I vision and wisdom to manage the rest. That was a blessing. And that led to an incredible, radical result. One of the results of leaning into this kind of posture is our worry goes way down. Our anxiety goes way down because our trust goes way up. When we're trusting in something in someone bigger than ourselves, bigger than our income, bigger than our work, bigger than our pleasures. My dad was um, an amazing example of this. He never followed money. He never... Um, went after riches. He was a manager of a company in Toronto and his finances were in order. I saw it in his life. I saw it in his death. He was modest. He had margin. He was generous and he had peace. But one of the noticeable things I did, I never really saw the check he wrote to the utility company, but I didn't see those things. But I often would see the offerings he would give to the church because it was ready on a Sunday morning or that's kind of the pattern it was. And I remember that was just a noticeable thing in my life, and I'm grateful for that pattern. My dad left business in his 40s to go into full-time ministry, so he had a big salary change from the business world to serving the church full-time. But his whole life reflected proportionate giving, and I saw that firsthand. And then I thought back. I'm like, wow, I'm almost 50. I'm 48. Gosh, I said that out loud. I'm almost 50. I have experienced that in my own life for the last 30 years. And there's never been a regret to giving first and allowing God to help us manage the rest. But here's the beautiful thing. This is your choice. This is your choice. You have the choice. Jesus says, where your treasure is, you have the choice to give your money, purpose, and place in God's kingdom. I'm going to invite the team to come back so we can close by celebrating communion today. But think about this. You have a choice to... Give your money a purpose and a place to the local church. This is not a command. Some people teach this as a direct command from the scriptures, and I see it as something that was instituted in the early life of Israel and then continued as a principle and as a practice embedded into the fabric of Christian faith, of Christian experience. So here's, here's my close for you today. You have an invitation if you already haven't done this, to reorganize your budget to reflect God's kingdom. To reflect God's kingdom. Now, here's... If you're one in our church community who is a giver, who, you're like saying, Dave, this, I'm sold on this pattern. This is the way I've been shaped in my conviction and, I've, and God has led me to this point. God bless you. It's amazing. I hope that today helped round out maybe even a better way of why you do what you do and why it matters. So that's awesome. But you need to, you, you need to consider, just like all of us, what it means to always be growing in our generosity even beyond the church. If you're here from another church today, amazing. Go back to your church and be a giver. <laughs> Please don't put offering in our basket today or through our website Go to your church and fuel the ministry that God's called you to. If you're a growing giver, then look at where, where this is and say, Lord, where, where am I here in this journey? And where do you want to stretch me next? 
What's next? Am I a 1% or 2% giver and you want to you grow me to a 3 or 4% or a 5% so I can grow to that? Again, 10% is not a command, but it's a, it's a beautiful benchmark and principle that helps us prioritize and live in a certain posture. So you, that's your choice to respond. You might be a hesitant giver. You might serve. You might love God. You might be so amazing with people, but you hold on to your resources really, really, really tightly. And God is saying, you got to trust me with everything. You got to start being a giver. Now, lastly, if you're a seeker here today, you're watching online or here, you're exploring, and you're like, I'm not even a Christian. I'm not even part of this church. What do I do with that? You know what you do with that? Don't give to us today, please. That's not what this message is about. But here's the thing. Even if you're, even if you're, wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, even if you don't consider yourself religious, you will live a qualitatively better life with your hands open. A qualitatively better life. Find certain things in the world that would benefit from your nurture and interest and resources and bless them. I want to close with Sebastian's going to come up and help me out. Sebastian, you want to come up for a second? Do you mind? So I checked. Now, Sebastian, I got, I got amazing money in this jar. How much is it? $5. Five bucks. That's a lot of money. That's all that Ron had in his pocket. Um, I had none. So you want to stick your hand in there? Do you want to grab the money? Oh, can you get it? Come on. No, you can't. You serious? You're, but I, mine does. We checked hands. It was the same. Try, try again. It's not going to come out. Okay. Anybody got oil? Kayla, sorry. You just stay with me. I'll do this. I want the money more than you. And I want to get in there. Now, I'm going to grab this money, and now my hand is clinched, and now you pull the jar off. I can't do it. But I want the money. Can you take the jar off? No. There's a difference. Thanks, man. That was good. I can't. I really can't do it. I, I really got to let go of the money to get it. It's not going to happen. Okay. I'll let go. It'll stay here for someone else. Well, actually, it's Ron's. Take it and give it to Ron after. That's the, that's, this is the difference between living this way and living this way. This way and living this way. Even if you're here today and you're not, you don't consider yourself a Christian, I encourage you, the way of Christ towards generosity is the difference between living like this and living like this. If you are a Christian and part of God's kingdom, become one of those people who resource his kingdom. If you're not, I believe there's an immense amount of joy and peace and blessing that comes from living like this. Let me pray with you as we, we move into communion. Lord, God, I pray today, Lord, that first and foremost, I would see personally the wonderful call to trust you with everything. And God, I acknowledge that even though it's been years that I've been following you and years of moments along the way where you've encouraged me and challenged me in this route, even today, God, there are still parts of me that I know I hold on to. Help me to let go and trust you. Help me to see even in the part of my journey that I'm in, Lord, where you're calling me to greater joyful generosity. 
God, I pray for some today that we live in a world where we feel so much depends on what we have and what we do and how much we make and how much we accumulate and what we look like. And God, I pray that you would free us. Free us, God. Free us from feeling like we have to live up to that. Free us from some of those ambitions that drive us more into the rat race of our culture and world. Free us, God, to, to see all that we have in creation and all that we have in the resources at our disposal as a gift from you. You are Jehovah Jireh, our great provider. And yet you invite us to partner with you. And Jesus challenges us to prioritize your kingdom. And Lord, I'm not sure if there's really any other way than to tangibly, proportionally give away part of what we have. How else can we trust you? How else can we allow our money and our resources and our time determine that we fully trust you with everything and that we value the beautiful inbreaking of your kingdom and we get to be part of stewarding that to the world. And Lord, if there's any ways, even as our church, that we can grow in, in trusting you and in, in generosity, if there's ways, Lord, that we even like to hold on, help us to let go and trust you. God, I pray for some that are hesitant today that you would just give them a joyful conviction. And Lord, for some that are in need, may they see you provide either tangibly or with incredible vision and wisdom for the situation they're in. And where it's in our power, God, help us to be those who come alongside. Ultimately, Lord, we want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness for all these things you promise will be added to us as well. And we embrace fully the beautiful radical response of less worry because we trust you. And may there be a beautiful, tangible witness of what that looks like for the world around us. May the world around us see a joy and a peace and an anxious, free approach to our finances. May that point them to you. May they come to know you as Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question. Ask for help 
or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.